What up? What's up, y'all? Welcome to the This Is Not That podcast. I'm back with the homies. What's up, guys? Say hi. Hi, hi. This is Isaiah. What it do? This is Rafael. (laughs) And I'm Joanna. Um, There's a lot going on in Milwaukee and Wisconsin and across the country. Goodness. Um, I know we have a bunch of things that we want to hit on today. But let's start with the weekend check-in. How's it been going this weekend, guys? Oh, my stuff was super, super chill. I'm upset because I didn't get, I was trying to go, you ever had like this, like deep want to like fall asleep, but then you overthink about it so you don't fall asleep? I had that this whole weekend. I had anxiety about sleeping, which is wild. (laughs) So I didn't get as much sleep, but as far as just the weekend and stuff, it was good. I enjoyed the weather. It was nice. Got out there for a little quick bike ride that almost killed me, but that's that's neither here nor there. But uh, it was a good weekend. You fell? No, no, no. My stamina, like Cardio I have fam. no, I have no stamina like I used to. I used to be able to like <laughs> ride a bike for a long, like long time, and I can't do it anymore. Like I, I used to go from my house, which is like in Harambe, to the lake, and like maybe fifteen minutes less than that, and then like I had a date breaks stop so it was it was a struggle but i'm getting back i'm getting back on my game you know mm. yeah y'all, what y'all do? nice bike riding and this kind of in this kind of weather right avoiding that that 90 degree temperatures <laughs> right <laughs> but, yeah. um, i had a good weekend it was very busy uh so i've been having some family in from texas and new mexico uh we had a quinceanera on saturday so my little cousin had her 15th birthday um and there that's a lot of responsibility for the whole family right um and it was a really great time i'm glad to see all the family come together but it was very exhausting i think like the night before i had like issues sleeping and then um just like being anxious about the event and then, of course, didn't get much sleep Saturday night because we stayed up pretty late. Um, watched the the Packer game on Sunday, and I'm convinced we did so poorly because I had family and from Texas and New Mexico who are like cowboy fans, and I just felt their negativity mm. all in the house. And so I blame them, and I welcome you all to blame them as well. I don't know. I watch college lacrosse. That's what I always say in these conversations. I <laughs> know Isaiah how was your weekend though fam how was your weekend Isaiah uh my weekend was okay a lot like Ralphie's it was it was pretty chill um I think it was Friday or something like that that uh one of my friends who's a musician he did an open mic in a bar in River West so we went and listened to that and the other artists and I actually saw a couple familiar faces and that was really cool to hear like a variety of different I didn't know you could do acoustic so so many different ways, you know what I mean? Um and uh, like acoustic. Oh, acoustic. Okay. I was like acoustic. I got yeah. you. Acoustic guitar. Sometimes yeah. certain letters I the pool stick. Yeah. So yeah, and then um I had some plans the next day, but that got canceled. So that's that's okay. I'm over it. And um and uh, the rest of the weekend was just kind of transitioning to the fall weather. Um, I couldn't really sleep either, but I always have issues sleeping. So that's not, uh, abnormal. 
Um, and yeah, that was kind of the overview of my weekend. Um, you know, it was a trip for me, like, and it was like one of these things in life. You really like, you're like, damn, I'm getting old. It was like 9-11 was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. Like I remember <laughs> the day of 9-11 and like, y'all might not believe this because you know me and I'm like this super studious dude, super serious guy now, but I was like skipping school when 9-11 happened. I was playing like 2K. Trent. Yeah, and Dreamcast. And I remember like the impact it had. Like that was the first time I ever saw my community respond to something that happened in like at a at a global level. I remember um, my neighbor across the street laid out candles from one end of the block to the other end of the block. Mm. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is serious because nothing had penetrated my community. It was always very insular in that way. And that was, 9-11 was the first time I really felt an impact of something that happened on the news that was thousands of miles away from home, but it might as well happen right there on my block. So it was one of those uh, reflection days. I was like 20 years ago that that really... 9-11 happened so it made me reflect you know and think about it and take it seriously because I remember the impact it had on on me and as a society as a whole you know right did I take time did you have some time over the weekend to think about 9-11 reflect about what y'all were doing that day yeah I mean like I thought about I mean every a couple sometimes I like make posts on on Facebook um on 9-11 um uh, I didn't this year. I just, I guess I just didn't really feel like it, but sometimes I'll post like the winter soldier uh, hearings where Iraq and Afghan war vets came uh, to the public and based and in a manner similar as to what happened after Vietnam uh, explained what they're actually seeing and experiencing or being told to do on the ground in those war zones, um, which may kind of contradict most Americans ideas of, what they thought their taxpayer dollars were paying for over there. But I chose not to do that kind of stuff. I just kind of let people have their day and not sour on it in any way, um, which I don't think that's souring on it. It's just enriching the conversation around it. Cause obviously uh, there's all, you know, we're supposed to never forget, but there's a lot of things to not forget, you know, not just the actual event itself, you know? Uh, so yeah, it was on my mind, but I, I kind of chose to not, not do the thing this year you know yeah um my mom's had on all the datelines or whatever those shows like with the memories commemorating like what happened over the you know over the past 20 years and these different stories where they interviewed like families of firefighters or individuals that um passed with the with the whole thing um so I had an aunt my aunt Olga She's like my great aunt, right? My mom's aunt, my grandma's sister. She was visiting and she was staying here. And I just brought up the conversation, right? Like we're at the dinner table and I'm just like, you know, what were y'all doing when this happened? Right. And um, my aunt, my great aunt, she um, was a school counselor, public school counselor. And so she talked about how, when it was going down, that she was still with students at this time, at the time. And she remembers like bringing in, um, 
like radios and stuff for, and like TV. I think she said they had a TV or whatever. They brought it in. She's from a, a little town in Texas, Eagle Pass, Texas. And, um, she brought it in for her students to listen and, and she was listening and like, they were, you know, taking in information all at the same time. And I, you know, shared with her that that was my experience too. I was in eighth grade at the time. And my teacher, um, Matthew Ray, shout out to Matthew Ray, who's a dope, uh, teacher, but, um, he brought in, you remember the, the TVs on the carts, right? Yeah. They, they strapped those always- things down. <laughs> Yeah, that was always a sign of a good day, right? Which was always a symbol of a good day, right? Because you knew you were going to watch a movie. But no, he brought the TV in the classroom and we were watching the news and he brought, he like got wind of it so early that when he brought in the TV, we actually witnessed the second plane hit the towers. Um, And I remember us all thinking we were watching some sort of replay, um, but in actuality it was happening in real time. Um, And so like, I'm talking with my aunts and my, and my mom's too. She was telling me, you know, she was a manager at a food restaurant at the time. And she was telling me that her and her, her employee at the time who couldn't speak any English, it was just her, those two women in, in the, in the restaurant, they hadn't opened yet was trying to tell my mom something had happened, right? Like with her listening to the radio and trying to trans listening to the radio in English and trying to translate it to my mom, what she thinks she heard. And so we were just sharing our experiences. Um, but my aunt, um, was like, she couldn't like help herself from saying that in the moment, she also thought of how much harm, um, had happened like in previous years outside of, right. Like September 11th, right. Like there was all this conversation about, oh, you know, America and like, oh, look at this attack, this attack on the United States and stuff like that. And she was just like, what about all the attacks the United States has done on other parts of the world, right? Like in the harm that they have brought. And so like, I was really proud of my aunt for like being so aware, right? Like not just kind of flowing with the status quo. And I don't know, it was just, uh, we never really had those serious conversations, her and I, and just for her to bring that up. And it was something for me to remember. But I also was listening to this podcast. So in addition to this is not that being like my favorite podcast. I also like to listen to NPR's Code Switch. That's one of my top podcasts. And they were talking about, you know, like everybody else was talking about September 11th and how this happened 20 years ago. But um, one of the top, the co-hosts on the show, um, Shireen Marisol Maraji, she was talking about how at the time she was in Durban, South Africa for this global conference on racism and just like how, like, I don't know, just wild, right? Like that this was happening, that, that conference wrapped up September 8th, 2001. And then we have this terrorism attack on September 11th. And it just like how weird it was and like how she believes and feels strongly, like September 11th, like basically destroyed everything that they had collectively talked about at this conference, right? Like any um, thoughts of like hope or hope or optimism was also crashing and burning because of this incident that happened. And it was just wild. Like, I didn't, I didn't know at the time that there was this global conference on racism happening. And, and so it's just interesting to learn all, about all these other things that were going down right at the same time. Yeah. Leading up to it. Um, uh, like like all the things leading up to 9-11 um, internationally and that all the just it's like the the direction of the world just kind of 
got derailed, you know, and just started going off this, 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 this other, this other direction. And I remember when, um, when, um, I remember being in school, uh, in after school daycare, I was in elementary school. Um, and again, they brought in the big TV, uh, except it was the medium sized TV strapped to that. So when they brought in the medium sized TV, it was usually going to be power Rangers or something. And then when they brought in the big TV, that was going to be a movie. So they only had the medium TV. And I just remember the adults, like, I remember vividly the adults just kind of like turning the TV, like suddenly without telling us anything, without even talking amongst themselves. And they were in the room the whole time too. Uh, They just turned the TV away from us towards them and just told us to go do other stuff. And they all switched it to something else. And they had never, ever done that before and just started watching this thing. So I was in after school daycare, like I said, and my mom came and got me eventually after she got off of work and just the vibe was different. And then we got home and went to sleep, get up the next morning and you see it on the TV. You see like that. That was the first time I, I actually saw it. I was going through my mom's room or something uh, when I'm getting ready for school and uh, I saw it playing on the TV. So it was my memories of it are, are kind of weird because I remember when it happened. Uh, but because I but I remember it through the sphere of like an empty little kid's mind where you're just kind of seeing it and there's no, and and you're in tune to the reactions of the adults and that something's wrong, but that's all, you know, you know, so my memories of it are, are interesting. I would, I would assume a lot of people also have um, similar memories to that. Uh, But you know, what's wild not to interrupt you, uh, but (laughs) and it was like, so dope to hear your aunt. Um, Joanna have that response because what happens usually in like moments of like crisis like that like these real impactful moments of crisis is it's not critical thinking right the response to 9-11 wasn't taking a self uh, a self-assessment of us as a country and what we've done to create uh, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and how we trained uh Afghans in the 80s to combat uh, uh, Russians in, in Afghanistan and that fallout became the Taliban that came back on us. It was like even we doubled down on imperialism. We doubled down in wars abroad. And I think if if we really don't really take this time and reflect on how terrible a decision that was, like we are dealing with the ramification of that, with the uh, pull out of um out of uh, Afghanistan now by a decision bad policy following 9-11 is still leading to people dying we just lost 12 men and women from the U.S. government um and military and then thousands or hundreds when it came to uh Afghan citizens in 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 the fallout from the bad policies of uh, 9-11 and you know, time after time, and you know, one of the benefits of getting older is you get to see perspective, you get to see how we are repeating the same mistakes of 20 years mm-hmm. ago. I've seen it now. Like we keep on after tragedy having these terrible responses to it because it, it just falls back on the, our need for punitive revenge, right? Or a proper dehumanizing of a people and not seeing them as humans just living in a different country thousands of miles away, but as like terrorists, you know, or uh, Islamic folks, right? 
And that's just going to lead us down a, uh, you know, another bad pathway, right? Where you can see it happening now with on both sides of the aisle with this pullout from Afghanistan. You got people who you, you know, liberals, like, you know, criticizing Biden for getting out of Afghanistan war, right? Like a war we yeah. should have been in the first place. So I hopefully with your aunt and some of the conversations I've been having, having this critical thinking, this really not just taking that face value or just doing the thing that our instincts tell us is like, oh yeah, they eye for eye type of thing, but think critically about how we can really respond to these times of crisis in a thoughtful way um, is happening because I fear that we're going to continue to make the same mistakes we've been making if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it feels like there's just a ball that's, uh, that is just kind of continuing to uh, continuing to roll here. And I, I think that um, especially for um, the youngest of us, you know, the young uh, kids who are still in, in K through 12 education, basically, I think it's especially high school students um, uh, and college students too, but especially high school students, like they have to go through every time every year 9-11 comes around, we all have to go through the, you know, never forget weekend. And when you're in school like that, when I was in high school, that would turn into like two or three days of U.S. history class watching nothing except uh, 9-11 documentaries about the tragedy itself and how terrible it was and etc. But there's really not that much discussion at all about the various after effects that would actually affect our lives, like over like the increased militarization of police, like the increase and in rampant surveillance state that blew out of proportion, like the fact that uh, uh, while college, while you're sitting here in this high school class, college may be uh something that you don't even know if you're going to be able to really attain it but there's an army recruiter down downstairs uh, saying hey you can join us and you'll be able to go to college for free or telling you whatever they're going to tell you you know to get you to join so it 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 feels like there's 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 sometimes not a lot of appreciation of of yes there is this tragedy and there is this incident um, in the situation that happened, but everything else that came came after that, was it worth it? And are we better off uh, after it? I don't know if we are. You know, uh, uh, you know, one of the things particularly, you know, I, I, like I just mentioned surveillance, you know, like um, it was uh, in 2013, I think I was a year, uh, I think I was a year uh away from actually graduating high school is when we found out from Edward Snowden, the extent of the government surveillance and warrantless wiretapping, which followed, which, which followed the nine 11 attacks and, and, and which followed the launching of the war on terror, which our presidents at the time, Bush and his advisors and et cetera, really described as like a holy war against evil, which the evil is what Islam and, you know, Muslim people. And that, and then it came home. It's not just a war over there. Then we started surveilling uh, Muslim Americans and Muslim residents here. And then that expanded to uh, basically all of us. You know, there's just this endless ball that keeps rolling that 
people are eager to forget, but they don't want to forget this image of the towers falling, you know? You know, I, I think about a uh, book, Naomi Klein's book, uh, uh, The Shock Doctrine, and she talks about how uh, the elite or the powerful use these incidents of mass tragedy um, as a way to implement policy that they know other way they would have been able to implement. And I think about that when it comes to uh, surveillance. I remember I was 16 when 9-11 happened. And I remember like even the idea that the government would spy on you was completely, it was a non-starter. It was like, you can't even talk about that. It was, it was just assumed that that would never be something. It happened. Don't get me wrong. COINTELPRO that, but like to, to have the masses be okay with it was a non-starter. That was never going to happen. And I remember after 9-11 seeing people just be okay with the idea that the government will be able to spy on you and, and came up with these uh, phrases like, well, if you're not doing anything, then why you why you have a problem with it? I'm very you, acquainted with that, with that mm -hmm. argument. <laughs> right, right, right. And it was, and that wouldn't have been the case if 9-11 didn't happen. And there's been like other cases around, you know, I think about New Orleans and uh, how, you know, before they was always trying to get uh, do a rid, uh, get rid of uh, the public school system in New Orleans, but they couldn't do it in uh, before Katrina, right? They couldn't do it, but after Katrina, those same forces that were trying to get rid of the public school system before came in and used that as an opportunity, and now there's no public schools in New Orleans, right? Like it's all privatized, and again, this is something I think about. Like, how do we ensure when these moments happen? that we don't just, we can think we can think about it in a way where yes, this is a terrible thing to happen, but also let's not give away everything, right? Let's, let's also stay true to our values and, and our ethics and our morals, even when we have fear. How can we and not let fear dictate our movements? And I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. And I think that's a struggle that we all have to deal with. But if, if we put that, front of mind when these incidents happen, maybe we can stop perpetuating this cycle of endless war or just reactionary uh, violence or react yeah, reactionary violence when it comes to these moments of uh, mass tragedy. Yeah. That's such a common thing, right? Like that they, you know, essentially are capitalizing on trauma and things that happen to communities, right? Like, and, and they do that with the knowledge that they know the masses, right? Like the regular, most majority people are operating in a sense of fear, right? Because it's so unknown. And what do they do? They just listen to the, to the media headlines that they see, right? Like whatever they're being told on, you know, the news channels is what they're going to believe. And they're so busy with folks are so busy with life. Right. And especially when I think of like the poor communities and communities of color, they're so focused on, you know, essentially survival. They don't have the space to do critical thinking. Right. Like I think about how much of a privilege that is. And like, to, to just set, like set time aside and think about this, but you're absolutely right, right, Rafi. Like we need to to take things into our own, own hands essentially, right? And like do the work so, to be knowledgeable about like what's going on, you know, not only here in our communities, but around the world and how we're being essentially, you know, 
the media or whomever is like essentially telling us what's manipulated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, We're yeah, essentially yeah, being manipulated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think about that, like even now with current, like with politicians and legislators and candidates and stuff, right? Like, you know, we're coming up on 2022. There's a big elections coming up. And um, I listen to these candidates talk about, you know, being progressive and how they want to help communities, poor communities, communities of color. Um, And they talk about things with no real, like no real meat, right? Like there's no real structural change to what they're saying. But what they're, but what they, what they do say sounds nice, and it sounds good for like an immediate like support system, right? Like it's, it's an immediate response to like helping people in this moment. But you know, six months down the line, it, it's not going to be helpful. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it's like they're so stuck on like putting band aids on situations, mm. and that there's never any conversations for like real structural change to like impact our communities for the long term, right? They want to do something that's going to fix the situation right now. But in a year, two years, three years, five years, it's like, oh, we're going to be right back to where we started from. That's a politic of hopelessness, right? It's it's very rare that you encounter a politician that can lead with hope and then do the the structural things to make that hope real, right? Uh, I mean, so many times I have conversation with these politicians is, always what we can't do right the constraints of what we can do is no imagination beyond like the limitations of perceived limitations of what's possible and that's one of my biggest struggle I'll be honest with you my biggest struggles because in this work that I do because I'm always hopeful I think that hope is shit that's that's all we got you know if once you lose that you lose everything and I do believe in a world where you know, people can, you know, have a dignity in the job they work and it pays a decent wage, not just a decent wage, a living wage, and they can provide for a family. And we're not sending right. young men and women off to wars that we don't need. Or, you know, I believe in a, a socialistic idea of what we, uh, how we should be living. And far too many times, you don't even have to be, have my politics. Uh, as like a socialist, right? You can just, do you care about human beings? And at that level, it's very rare that you encounter politicians who can give you hope and then follow up on hope on some real tangible things and really fight for right. it, right? They might agree with you, right. this is the way the worldview might look like, but are they willing to fight for it? And that, it's very rare that you have that type of conversation or encounter a politician who's willing to actually fight for the things that they say they believe in. You know. Yeah. Right. And while you have, you know, like while you have uh, politicians and elected leaders who uh, fall in that camp as well, um, it, you know, it's also on the rest of the general public um, yeah. to uh, to kind of, you know, assess for themselves uh, kind of like what they believe in and and why they believe it it kind of goes back to that that saying of if it doesn't affect me i don't care well someday it will affect you you know like for the last 20 years there there are kids alive today who have never known america without war you know um and uh like literally you know like i was born in 96 my baby my 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 baby memories i guess are an american with that war 
You know what I mean? So I'm not even talking about myself. I'm talking about like 18 year olds and such who were 20 year olds who have been alive as long as we've been in Afghanistan, you know, um, it, it, you know, we've, we've, we've been in, in those situations for so long that we're completely desensitized to it, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's easy to say, well, that's over there. And, you know, we're not really responsible for that. And that, that doesn't really affect us. And that doesn't have anything to do with us. Well, look at, well, you know, if you really want to be selfish about it, look at what happened last year. You know, you had guys fully kitted out dudes with no name tags, pulling people into uh, uh, mm. blacked out minivans and driving off somewhere in the middle of the night. That's what we were sponsoring uh, over there. You know, I'm watching the Democracy Now! headlines now. Um, and, uh, there is a, a coup in, in a, in a Guinea going on right now where the coup, the people who did the coup were trained by, um, us special forces. You know, this is a ongoing recurring problem. And as long as people kind of say, well, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. It's going to blow back on you in a thousand different ways. We didn't have a department of Homeland security before nine 11, you know, we didn't have fusion centers before nine 11, you know? The whole surveillance thing, first it started with, you know, because of the 9-11 counterterrorism thing and et cetera. Now there are things called fusion centers where it's literally local police doing those those type of things similarly, but for street level crime, you know, which is yeah. really normal people. You know, uh, it it it's uh, not yeah, there you, a, a robust conversation, you know. But that goes back to the fear. If we are, if we are yep. a fear-driven society, those type of policies is going to be the fallout, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I don't know how you how you go about getting people to not live in fear, right? Because some of the things are real, right? If I'm a 74-year-old grandma who's living in certain neighborhoods and there's crime and shootings around me, I, 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 I am fearful, right? But the response to that fear can't be bringing in more fear right right can't be bringing in more fear you can't replace fear with fear and think we're gonna get a better solution right and i I see us doing that so much it's like and i think that's on us i think you said something isaiah so true is it's not just on the elected officials though we do elect them to be leaders in our community but it's on us really the organizing the people to do this work to to create that vision for when you are fearful, we can respond in love too, right? We can't just, I've been so many times when I knock on doors and I ask people like what their top three issues is, is, I mean, safety is always like top two, right? And then when I I respond to them, like, what would you like to see done with safety, about safety? It's always more police. It's always Mm -hmm. more police. Because that's the only answer anyone's ever been given. That's all we know, that's all they, that's all they, we haven't created, and we are just at the beginning of creating those alternative to fear. But, and so it's on us at the grassroots level to create those alternatives. So when we knock on doors five years from now and we, they say safety is a big concern, they can respond with, you know, uh, alternatives to policing, right? So, um, you know, I, I just, I just hopeful for a world where we can just, you know, not leave with fear. And uh, and also, I make a quick, go ahead, go ahead. It's the 
it's the tug of war of like who who knows best for us right like is it the the elected officials that we put into office is it you know the organizers that are living and having daily experiences in the communities that we're talking about like right now and like what you know one of the things i know um we're talking a lot about like september 11th and like how what like what has kind of produced since then but um also like just talking about like bad policy um i think about like right like the war on drugs right and like how that conversation has just was taken completely um like a, a spiral of bad policy after bad policy right and like it's something that we're still dealing with now and like i know that we wanted to definitely recognize and pay tribute to michael k williams who just recently passed away and um you know Rest like there's this no whole more. absolutely right like there's this whole negative conversation that started around his passing that oh it's an overdose oh it's fentanyl oh you know it's heroin all this other stuff and like like what are we doing in response to that except like bashing this man's character right like what are politicians what's the response to that yeah it's like we're still on an environment where we're debating whether or not fentanyl testing strips should be legalized legalized to where even cops cops cannot like i wrote an article about like like not too long ago if it if it legalized then then um then um then uh like like testing strips for fentanyl then paramedics and such would be able to use it they don't even access that stuff so it's like it it like 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 on the go kits so it it it, that seems like a really really basic thing you know yeah but bad policy killed Michael K. Williams. The prohibition on drugs and the creation of a black market that allows people to step on their drugs and cut it with fentanyl killed Michael K. Williams, right? That's another instance of bad policy, right? Like the 80s, one of the big things that really kicked off the war on drugs, it was already going on, but really accelerated was the overdose of Lynn Bias. He was a Basketball player, he was a second round, he was a second pick in the NBA draft. I think it was 86 draft. He was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. And like a couple days after the draft, he overdosed on cocaine. And they used that death to implement these terrible policies around drug enforcement and these, these uh, mandatory minimal sentences and stuff like that. It took a lot of black and brown young men who at the same time, we're dealing with the fallout of deindustrialization and the loss of an economy, right? Who turned to the black market because they really had no real alternatives and they criminalized those individuals, threw them in jail, right? That was the response to it. And I can and I can see um, just over when, when uh, Michael K. Williams passed, the conversation that was happening on social media and a couple of posts I saw on Facebook that that drumbeat again was stirring up for a more punitive way to respond to this fentanyl crisis, right? And it's going to fall, and that fallout, just like it did in the 80s, is going to fall out on poor black and brown working class people. And we are going to have to deal, and hopefully, again, this is where we can think critically and not just react to a moment and say, like, our reaction to the drug war in the 80s was terrible. It's having ramification now. Many, uh, Mothers and fathers are in their homes with their kids due to uh, the mandatory minimal censuses and the jailing and all that over-policing. How can we respond to this crisis that's going on now? Not out of fear, 
but out of love. Mm -hmm. How can we really respond to that? And that's going to be on the people at the grassroots and the politicians to really be responsive in that way and not repeat the mistakes like we continue. And I'm only 36 to continue to repeat my whole lifetime. Yeah. It's like we stay at a reactive state, right? What are we doing on the front end so that we don't have to be always reacting? What are we doing for prevention? Yeah. And to create to, to help foster a space too, where kind of conversations uh, can be had and honest so that those, those kinds of layers of critical thinking can be done. You know um, I mean, how, I mean, like, you know, you talk about, you know, the history uh, uh, going back to nine 11 and, and et cetera. And it's like, well, you know, how, like, I, I, I remember seeing through a lot of, uh, uh, U.S. history class conversations during that period of time and in, in uh, high school where it's like they're like you're being invited to debate, but there is no real debate to be had. The only mm -hmm. right answer is to support the troops. You know what I mean? And it's not the mm -hmm. teacher doing that. It's the classmate to one another. You know what I mean? It's like you're being asked, well, what was the right decision after that? You know, and once you go to war, is it, you know, like, are you allowed to have an opinion anymore? It's like, no, you just have to support, you know, and and, 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 and like it's us versus them and et cetera, that can be used for that. And then that can also be used for ramping up drug, a drug, uh, drug rule, drug war rhetoric or, yeah. um, or, uh, et cetera, you know, kind of removing the space where people can actually properly examine what's happened to maybe predict what may be about to happen, you know, so that it doesn't keep happening. Um, yeah, that's the hope, right? That that is the hope, and maybe and maybe it's just too much of a built-in assumption that, like, you know, if I see, uh, like, if you walk over something, you keep on tripping over it, like, it, you you will just assume that you will avoid the thing that you're tripping over. But you know, this, it's this thing that happens with, like, we get mad. I'm not like not mad, but mass amnesia, where we completely, collectively forget the lessons learned, right? And I've, it's happening again. It's just I, I, the the Michael K. Williams situation. I, I'm seeing people have the same conversations and using the same rationale that was used in the 80s and late 80s, early 90s. Why it's okay to lock up uh, people on mass because they sell fentanyl, right? Like I'm seeing the same conversations. And now like, and there's no, there's no pushback where it's like, we did that though. <laughs> we did that and we locked up a whole bunch of people, became the most imprisoned nation in the world, right? Like not even a close second, completely destroyed families in response to it. It's none of that conversation happening. It's going, it's, we're falling right back into uh, the easy. And that's what it may be what I'm getting at. It's the easy way out. Like it's the, e it's the most easy reactionary. They, they did bad, lock them up with no analysis mm -hmm. of, what put them in that situation was forcing, mm -hmm. what's the social economic pressures on and conditions in society is forcing people to make this reaction to go sell drugs or even take drugs, right? So maybe it shouldn't be a built-in or something that we are uh, that critical as a country, but I, I'm sort of hell tired of us repeating the same damn thing. I, I, it's That's one of the most demoralizing things about um, doing this work is like, we've been here before. It's like, it's like being in a car, you going towards a, de a destination and you keep on going down the same dead end streets. He's like, we just did this, 
right? And I think the thing that we have the power to do and be responsible for is to educate our communities, to really do that deep education, that organizing that that is necessary. So when they when these situations pop up, they can identify it, just like we are identifying in this conversation, that on mass we can identify the lies and the manipulation that you talked about earlier, uh, John. And until we do that deep issue education, we won't continue to repeat the cycle. So uh, yeah, that just makes me just more committed to get back out there and uh, knock on doors, have the conversations where we won't keep on repeating the same things we always repeat. Yeah. The shadow of the past holds the future hostage. My man dropping that shake a spear. <laughs> you know dropping what? Those that, actually, that actually came from a poster a friend of mine gave me a long time ago, but I think it's true. The shadow of the past does indeed hold the future hostage in a variety of ways. And in a capitalist society, just like everything you just laid out, Ralphie, uh, becoming, you know, the international prison nation, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as that develops in a capitalist society, there's also all kinds of structures that develop around that stuff to, to perpetuate it and, and, and siphon profit from um, human suffering and bodies, really. Um, it's a book called War is a Racket. It was written in the 60s and talked about how war is big business. Right? The drug war is big business. It keeps shit, this whole town's built around prisons. Long mm. Right, yeah. like Long Pond is one of them, right? Like, if you take yeah. that prison away, the whole city will go kaput, right? Literally. So this is, it's big business, and you completely uh, correct in bringing that up. But we know that, right? We know that, and we have to educate our communities around that, right? So when these when these moments of mass tragedy happens, whether locally or internationally, we can respond to it in kind and, like, and not in the same punitive way we always have responded to it. Mm. Yeah. I know we got to start wrapping up this episode and um, just on the theme of taking time to reflect and taking a, a look back at history. I did want to acknowledge one thing um, that we did here in Milwaukee. So um, a young man, George Marshall Clark, he was lynched here in Milwaukee 160 years ago. Uh, and his body was buried in um, Forest Home Cemetery right here in the near south side and um, a, a couple blocks away from my house, actually. Um, and he was he was buried there in an unmarked grave. And um, thanks to activists and organizers, I don't know this young man, but Tyrone Randall Jr. Um, did some researching and the work to learn about George Marshall Clark and along with Forest Home Cemetery and the America's Black Holocaust Museum, as well as um um, donations from just local individuals, they were able to get him a headstone. So um, George Marshall Clark died September 8th, 1861, and just now has a headstone um, to mark his grave here in Forest Home Cemetery in Milwaukee. And, you know, that's part of our history, right? That's part of Milwaukee's history. And, you know, again, like not having real reflections and conversations about where we've been is it's definitely not going to change where we're going so we need to talk about these things as hard and challenging as they are um we got to make sure we're having the conversation yeah that's our own for yeah. real for that work that's important work and if there's just yeah. one last thing i kind of want to add on that tangent too it's like people in the community do things like that they 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 make headstones for people and try to try to you know 
have that remembrance and then they get put on lists that get shared with the feds, you know, and that's, that's another way of, 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 of blowback. You know what I mean? It, 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 this, this expansion um, over the last two decades of, you know, a, you know, back then we considered terrorism a, a certain, uh, we had a very clear if jaded and probably wrong idea of what terrorism is and now it can be applied to so many things mm -hmm. including um uh uh doing these kinds of uh organizing around remembering things that have actually happened you know so how do we combat all this stuff organize 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 and educate yourself. And education, yep, educate yourself. Let's educate our communities and let's do that through organizing. We'll see y'all in two weeks, folks. My dog is acting cray in the background. Oh, the dog was down. The dog was like, yes. She that was, was the dog's like, yes, reaction. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's organize. All right, y'all, y'all have a good one. Peace, y'all. Stay safe. Bye-bye. <laughs>